Hello, and welcome to the Next in Health podcast. I'm Igor Belakronitsky, principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. And there's a set of themes we keep coming back to on the podcast. You can pretty much make a bingo sheet out of those at this point. We keep returning to themes like how do we make great healthcare available to everyone and close the gaps in our health ecosystems. We talk about reaching complex populations. We talk about the potential for technology to transform healthcare and make it more affordable and more innovative and more equitable. And we also love bringing back the alumni of the firm. And so today, if that's your bingo card, you can check off all of those boxes because on today's episode, we have as our special guest, Eric Ren. He is the chief growth officer for InnoWell. And InnoWell is doing some exciting things around behavioral health and fitness using technology. And so, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Igor. Really appreciate you having me on. Excellent. Well, Eric, there's a profusion of various organizations out there trying to solve behavioral and mental health with technology. And so tell us about NOL, what makes it special to you? Yeah. And I think the best way to explain that is my sitting here in Sydney, Australia. So I've been living here for the past seven years. But the previous six and a half or seven years, I was based out of the United States and working for a large health tech company on the electronic medical record side. And when I was working there, I saw the data and I saw the statistics around what was going on in the what's called in the United States behavioral health, what we refer to over here on this side of the world as mental health. Now, I use the term mental health to describe where technology fits into that overall space. And while I've lived over here for the seven years, my 13, 14 years in the digital health space, I've seen a lot of similar themes. And those themes and those challenges is what ultimately led me to InnoWell because we're a digital mental health company that focuses on preventative and clinical care, which sounds simple enough. And there is a lot of great technology out there. But when I looked at the challenges it was trying to solve, I was reminded of a statistic I saw in the United States, which your audience is probably very familiar with if they're listening from the States. And it was, it was from 2021 and it was released from the, from the U.S. government. And that was around 80% of the acute hospital space in America is digitized, which is great for all the right reasons. And I think a lot of the audience knows why, but only 6% of the behavioral health facilities in America were digitized. And that stat blew me away that if that's what America is experiencing, as I've been with the company that is in a well here in Australia, I started to realize we were experiencing similar challenges and challenges that our government recently identified through a pretty lengthy commission that we call the Productivity Commission. Think of it as a, a blue ribbon type committee that focuses on various issues that are affecting our economy, our environment and just people's overall lives. And they took the lens of mental health and they just released the report recently. And they said one in five Australians were affected by mental health and they were experiencing some form of mental illness. 
and the impact it was having on our economy. We're talking in the billions of dollars annually, 40 to $70 billion Australian dollar, and the effect it had on our healthcare system, another 200 to $220 billion. So all this data is out there saying, we know it's a challenge, we know it's a problem. We see it happening in the United States, other markets like Canada, the UK, New Zealand, they're all experiencing it. And at the center of it, the question keeps being asked, well, where can technology come in to try to go solve some of those problems? It's the very question our healthcare sector was asking itself 10, 15 years ago when the Obama administration tried to incentivize the sector to invest in electronic medical records. So I wanted to stay in that space, and that's why I'm still here today with NOL. And I'm interested to share some of those challenges we see in the sector around the mental health data says one thing, but what is actually happening for the patient, for the clinician? What is being affected with the care delivery and the outcomes that are happening to those individuals? It's the same in what you're going to see across various markets, but it's going to be different and localized to maybe what we're seeing with our Aboriginal population and our youth population. So I can go into some of those challenges, Igor. There's probably two I wanted to focus on specifically with the conversation. Excellent. So you've raised a number of very important topics and help us see connections between the North America market, the Australian market. And obviously this is a huge issue that impacts productivity, it impacts people's lives and well-being. But let's maybe get first a bit more into InnoWell itself and what it does, what it offers, what problems it solves. And then, yeah, let's explore more the unique populations and how to reach them effectively. Yeah, absolutely. And so as I had mentioned earlier, we are a digital mental health platform and we focus on two solutions on that platform, one in the clinical care setting and the other as a preventative self-managed solution for the individual that might not need to go to that care setting. And where we think we're unique in the market is for two reasons. Number one, having that ability to not just focus on the clinical care setting, but being able to give the individual that self-managed digital tool once they leave the care setting, but it still allows them a pathway back into the acute space if they need it. But it gives them that ownership and that agency to start looking at the care for themselves as an individual through that digital tooling. And so if I'm an enterprise, if I'm an S&P 500 or what we call an ASX 100 group here in the enterprise space, or if I'm an education system that wants to provide that digital tool to prevent an individual from sliding back into the clinical care setting, that's one of the two solutions we offer on our platform. And the second thing that we think is unique compared to other technologies in the market is how it was designed. It was designed in partnership with the University of Sydney and the Brain and Mind Center. And they have 15 years of validated clinical research that was built into that platform. And one of our leading scientific advisors, Professor Ian Hickey, helps lead that team and lead the research that goes into that technology. And when I mentioned it has that clinical care solution, there's two problems we're specifically trying to address if an organization is looking into this technology. And the first one is going to be very familiar to your audience, no matter where they're at in the world. And that's specifically, how do we begin to address the demand on our emergency departments with the volume of people presenting to emergency with mental health disorders? And so what do we mean by that? What's happening today? 
And I'm reminded of a story I was just told this week from an individual who said she met someone in her community where the wife was frustrated because her husband presented to emergency. He had severe, high complex mental health disorder. And what would happen was he was triaged, but he was triaged with paper-based information. He was triaged with paper-based information that had to manually be scored, manually be assessed, and manually be determined where he needed to go next in his care pathway. And as a result of that, he sat in emergency for almost six hours, six hours with one of the most highest mental health complex issues you can have in his individual because no one on that care team was receiving the information in real time. They were getting it piecemeal to them with what was going on with that individual. And ultimately, that individual wasn't flagged as someone who should have a certain set of care needs presented to them. And so what we're trying to do with this technology and for organizations who are trying to address the issue of their emergency departments and the volume they're getting with those individuals is how do you give them a more personalized, smart triage, quicker, faster, have that data in real time and be able to track that individual as they're going through the care setting. And so if you apply this technology to that individual who had to sit in emergency for six hours, if there was more of a focus on an agreed upon set of pathways, being able to put them in the right care setting that maybe didn't involve necessarily the emergency room, and you can free up space for people who might need to be in emergency or who might need to be flagged as someone who needs to get care quicker. Because if I'm in the emergency and I just have something that doesn't need attention right away, that person that presented with that complex mental health disorder needs to get care first. And so that's one of the problems and challenges that we're trying to address with this technology. And then the second problem is around wait list times and specifically what we're seeing in the Australian market and what we're seeing from the communities is wait list times specifically for youth and Aboriginal communities, people who need resources, who've been affected, not necessarily just by COVID, which all of us have over the past few years, but other natural disasters that we're experiencing here in our region. So flooding, bushfires, and individuals in rural communities not just Aboriginal and youth, who simply don't have a resource to go to. They don't have someone that when they present to a specific health service and they say, I need care because I'm going through some things in my life, they're typically told you have to wait three months, four months to see that resource that you might need. And the traditional way of how we as a sector tried to address some of these issues at a system level is let's go build more facilities or let's try to go recruit more individuals to join the, the healthcare sector. And the reality is that that just can't continue at the pace we need to address people's care that they need in these communities. So how do we specifically address those wait list times? There's two ways. And I mentioned it previously in the emergency department example. If I'm a youth in one of our health services here in the state that I live in, in New South Wales, and I present to that organization and I tell them I have a certain set of needs. If I'm a clinician and I have 30 youth that I need to focus on and take care of, our technology is able to flag and prioritize based on the assessment that that youth took on where they need to be in my patient list. Should I get to them quicker and faster based on the assessment that I was able to provide to them before they showed up in my health service? 
And we had an organization here in our state that was able to reduce their waitlist time by 60% when they started to utilize this technology specifically focused on waitlist times. And the second way it addresses it, if I'm the patient and think about it, if I'm a youth, I'm 15, 16 years old, and I'm able to know that while I may have to wait and I may not be able to see that clinician and that care team I can be given a digital tool, a piece of technology to communicate with that care team, that clinician while I wait, while I'm at home, and it focuses on areas of improvement. It's identified areas of action for you to take while you wait. You can share that back with your care team if you need to go present to that health service. But the other path might be, you know what? You actually didn't need to go into that health service. You simply just needed a set of resources and a set of tools given to you that was relevant to you. So you're taken off that wait list. Your overall health is better based on the tooling you were given and the action you were told to take. And that frees up a space for someone in that health service. So the patient's overall experience is better because they feel like they have ownership in their care and their communication with their team. The clinician and the care team's experience is better because they're trying to keep up with their patient list and all everything they have to do day to day. So the efficiencies they gain is better. And then overall on the health system, and I keep using the term health service, we're able to put the individual into the right health service that's needed. And most of the time, what our data shows, it's not the emergency room in the emergency department. So that's where we think the two biggest problems and the biggest challenges this type of technology can begin to address. Eric, that's really compelling. And I appreciate you giving the real kind of examples of the benefits that you're creating and all of the beneficiaries, including presumably also the employer, because then now their workforce has better access to the resources they need and eventually will show up in things like productivity, which is where you started this. And it's compelling to hear about the potential for this technology to create access and capacity to help make better decisions to route and triage and have these kind of science-backed workflows. So that's all fabulous. When I look at, again, all the profusion of technologies out there, some of the places where they have hit barriers has been things like, well, we have a technology, but the very people that it's designed for have sometimes the hardest time accessing it because of language barriers or bandwidth barriers or kind of rural versus urban and other constraints. And then sometimes you have technologies that are sort of a point solution that's slapped on top of a bunch of existing infrastructure and it's just not integrated and it's just adds to the fragmentation. And so curious how you're thinking about these challenges of making sure that it's really accessible and making sure that it's integrated within kind of the overall healthcare ecosystem to make sure that you're ultimately effective. Absolutely. And that's a great question, especially given where digital health is in the world, no matter what region you're in, I'll tackle the first one around culture and how do we address maybe some of those language barriers, then I'll address the integration part. The culture one is especially important to us here in country because of our connection and how we work with our Aboriginal and Indigenous communities. And how we go about doing that is the technology is we hear all the time, it's one part of the puzzle, it's one part of the solution. And while we want to give the right care at the right time, our technology needs to also be in line with co-design and the inclusion of lived experience. And what we specifically mean by that is, and I'll give a real example here, 
being able to design our assessments and those initial questionnaires that an individual might take if they're presenting into their rural community setting, whatever that health service might be, being able to sit down with that organization and make it inclusive, the language inclusive to what's specific to that community. So it may be a native indigenous population at one of our Canadian sites where the language is going to be different than the assessment I take here where I live in Sydney, Australia. Or it might be the clinic that we work with here in country that has a specific Aboriginal team dedicated to how they deliver care. And that care delivery has to have inclusive language that's specific to the Aboriginal community. So we can't ignore that. So that's the first way we address the cultural question and how our technology can make sure it works with those settings, whether it's here or in another region of the world. The second part you mentioned around accessibility and making sure it's integrated. I mentioned the stat of 80% of the U.S. acute hospitals, and it's probably even more than that nowadays, is digitized. And it's very similar here in our acute setting and in a lot of different care settings in Australia and the Canadian market, which we're in. They have an electronic medical record or they've made an investment, a significant investment into a digital piece of technology in that care setting. We need to show up and be ready, which we are able to, to work with those current investments in technology and being able to work with the global standards, whether it's HL7 or FHIR, and be able to make our technology and our platform one part of the overall care delivery that the end user is going to experience. And the last part that you mentioned, which was fragmentation, and we fully agree there is a lot of offerings out there. We want to be able to show these health systems and health services in all these markets that there is a gap in part of that clinical workflow, which is mental health or behavioral health. And our technology can fit into it with the right standards. And our only comment and conversation with them is making sure that whatever they're using today can play nice together with those standards that I mentioned previously. Very, very helpful. So Eric, maybe as we bring this great conversation to a close, coming back to you, you're the chief growth officer of NOL and growth obviously is critical here to get the right scale and these days also to get the right data so you can train better algorithms and continue improving the solution. So what does growth look like for NOL going forward? Where's your focus? How are you spending your time? Great question to end on. Growth for us is when we're able to have conversations with regional or state or province, no matter where you're at, organizations that are looking to make an impact at scale, which is what you mentioned, at a regional or state level where they can measure the impact and the outcomes on large populations. And the conversations that get me excited are when I can talk to a state organization where the leading doctor We're talking about clinical care and that clinical workflow I described earlier about better triaging and assessment. But then the conversation pivots to, I want to be able to give my youth, Eric, and he has 900,000 youth in his remit. I want to be able to give them a digital tool that they can focus on when they not just leave my care setting, Eric, but before they show up as a preventative strategy. I want to be able to give them that tooling in advance, track their outcomes to show the impact it can have on their mental fitness and mental well-being. Those are the type of conversations I get excited about. And we're seeing more and more 
where organizations and governments are realizing the investment they make at scale into this area of mental fitness, mental well-being, the impact it can have on the outcomes for the individual. And that does translate into real dollars then for their economies and their regions. So I'm looking and enjoying those conversations with organizations and also being able to share insights into what we're experiencing in the markets we're in and learning from other organizations in other regions that are experiencing similar challenges. And there's some great organizations out there that are leading the conversation with those topics. One of them, the E-Mental Health Consortium, which is the individual who leads that organization, is based in our side of the world here in New Zealand. Those are the type of conversations we enjoy being a part of and being able to show whilst the technology we developed was developed here in country in our state of New South Wales, we think that the challenges everyone is experiencing globally can be impacted in a positive way with what we're offering. Eric, this is fantastic and some really helpful learnings here for how to tackle this enormous challenge and the way you're doing it with science, with collaboration, with participation and representation of the people that you're trying to help was a great deal of humility and was a great deal of enthusiasm, which certainly comes across even though it's early morning your time. So <laughs> thanks a lot for joining today. Thanks, Igor. We really appreciate it. And like I said, we are only one part of a broader conversation that's taking place in our sector. And our mission ultimately, if anyone's going to remember anything from this podcast, we're just trying to unlock better outcomes in the mental health space for individuals. That's our mission. That's why I wake up every day and sometimes it's a little earlier time-wise than other parts of the week and that's fine. So I really appreciate you having me on and being able to contribute to the conversation. Fantastic. Thanks again. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get all the future episodes and can listen to the great past episodes as well. Until next time. This has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.